circle this week. I don't ever take these opportunities for granted. I never take the fact that you will spend an hour, hour 20, hour 30 minutes with me. Um, and because of that, I want to say uh, I'm truly appreciative. I'm honored. I'm grateful. I'm humbled. Thank you. Love you. The words just, I can't give enough of them. I appreciate it. If you don't know who I am, and it looks like everybody do, but I am Brother Yule. Um, and let me tell you about the, the circle for the ones who have just not been here before. The circle is a community in which we dialogue about the taboo topics church do not like to talk about. And the reason why we do that is simply because we need um, a community. We need people who are willing to touch topics that the church slide under the rug, the elephants in the room with word, with scripture to help build us and unite us. The model for the circle is this, different yet united. And the reason why I say that is because what happens a lot of times is we do not go by scripture where it says that we're different parts of body, different members, but still one body. So that's what it, it comes from. It comes from the fact that I may be a head. I mean, I may be the nose, I'm not the head. I may be the ear. I may be the leg and you may be another part of the body. So you may be working differently than me, but we're connected some way, somehow. And that's through Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the thing about the circle is, is that we put out topics, we put out uh, dialogue in a healthy manner in which we talk about the way we do that is, is that we have a panel that changes each and every week. That's going to have 30 minutes that they're going to break down questions that I have composed together. After that 30 minutes, we then give the circle, which is you, an opportunity to then speak on what you've heard, provide questions if you have questions, provide information if you have information. And if and the thing of that is, is to state that we're different yet. United. All right. So I want to introduce you to the panel tonight. I want to introduce you to my people tonight. The first part of the panel tonight is my brother Ricardo Cardo Mitchell, all the way, all the way from Trinidad, Tobago. Brethren, how are you? Always oh, a scene, Papa. Good night, good night, everyone. Love I'm it, good, love I'm it, good. love it. My next person that I'm introducing to the circle is. I do I see her? I see her. She got a black box. Avril, how are you, sis? Hi, everyone. I'm doing good tonight. Hey. 
And the last person is my brother. I, uh, we did an album together. I love this man. Frank Clay Laverne. Senior, what's up, brother? I'm honored, brother. Anytime I get to collab with you, man, it's, it's a privilege and an honor. Vice versa, brother. Vice versa. So listen, let's go to the topic tonight. The topic tonight is, if y'all haven't seen, is Kurt Franklin cussing versus curses, profanity versus profane. And the reason why I wanted to bring this out is because if you haven't, if you lived under a rock or you just don't watch TV, whatever it may be, that may be a case. I don't want to assume, right? Kurt Franklin, a tape, a video was leaked of Kurt Franklin having a conversation with his son. Um, in the conversation with his son that there's a clip it of, they have Kurt Franklin providing profanity, right? He's providing profanity to his son. Um, and then while providing the profanity to his son, um, he's saying uh, selective language, that's a good word for it, in which um, is not a, a selective language. I'm trying to use the word in here. Selective language in which the church will not approve of, right? And it shouldn't approve of. There's scripture to back that. However, what got swept under the rug of this all of this situation is it was just a snippet. And what ended up happening is it's had a lot of dialogue based on Kurt Franklin. Was, is Kurt Franklin truly a Christian because he cursed? Uh, profanity, cursing, Christians shouldn't do that. So I thought to myself, hey, self, how can I make this a topic in the circle in which the circle can break down actually what profanity is, what cussing is and what curses is, what's profanity and what's profane, what's the difference and how it's looked at biblically. Is cursing acceptable? Did Jesus even do it? I just wanted to things that we circle uh, we can dialogue all right so we're gonna do it tonight so let's go so the first is this is cursing I, I lost you. Any question you will? Okay, I'm going to say it again. Is profanity a sin? Is cursing a sin? Yeah, well, uh, well, as my mic is already on, I'm, I'm going to volunteer yes to both. And the reason I'm going to volunteer yes to both is because anything that you do outside of the will and glory of God can be considered sinful. That's, that's just a broad response. In terms of the cursing and curses, now that's a little um, ticklish. In terms of, if you're looking at the heart as the source of sin, in this case. Cursing, what is the definition of to curse? To curse is to speak evil intent towards someone, usually 
with a divine or spiritual support, right? Whether intentional or not. And that's the funny thing about it, which is why cursing generally is a sin. We don't get that we unintentionally speak evil of people. We look at the intentional as cursing. We look at the, the biblical summonings and, and desires for evil outcomes, but we don't look at a lot of the things we generally do in conversation and in day-to-day -day living as being cursing, right? Outright cussing, that's a problem. That, that is, quite frankly, it's a sin. And the reason it's a sin is because profanity in itself is unknown is a derivative of a word that is profane. Several times in, let's say, Leviticus come up, we are warned against profaning the Lord's name or profaning the Lord's temple, profaning the items used in service of the Lord. So what is the big deal with profane? To profane is to remove respect from or to diminish the value of. Anytime you are using profanity, the object of that language is to diminish and reduce. So the catch is, even if I'm not using it against someone intentionally or maliciously, the fact that I'm using profanity is diminishing me. And I can't be both uh, fearfully and wonderfully made and in the image of God and then diminish it because now we lean in from just cursing into blasphemy. So that's just my reason for saying yes to both aspects of it. Yes, sir. Um, I truly agree with that. Um, I also look at it like um, using the right words in the in the right context, you know, because we know it's mostly black that's on this call, and uh, black people we use curse words creatively, you know. No, no other culture can cuss better than us, and the thing is with society, you know, certain words were never meant to be used certain ways, but when we go out of our way to use those words and apply them to people which are uh, made in the image of God, then that's sinful, you know, especially when we call, you know, a woman, a B-I-T-C-H, when that refers to a female dog, um, you know, and, and you got to look at, other words, you know, um, like F-U-C-K. I kind of did a little research because I'm always researching words. That's the theologian in me, you know, that goes back to the Hebrew, the Greek and the Aramaic. Um, you know, that word was comes from a word called um, coupled or coupling or something like that, which means to mate. And usually when you're using that word, you are talking about um, another human being and the act that um, you're either going to perform or already have performed out of um, the biblical context of marriage, you know, so. And then there's also certain words that society has deemed inappropriate that I feel like, you know, they kind of um, just reaching on certain things. But uh, definitely, I agree with my brother when it comes down cursing and profanity is two different things. So um, 
profanity for one is blaspheming the name of the Lord. You know, when anyone uses Jesus or Jesus Christ. And I think um, pop culture came up with the OMG and I still believe that's, you know, a part of blasphemy, but you know, I guess it just applies to different situations. Um, I definitely agree with you both that um that profanity as well as cursing, they both are seeing. Um, like Frank said, society like deem certain words that we may not feel as if our curse words they are reaching um to be so but uh, it's also like a check to yourself and like ricardo said if it's anything outside of what we're supposed to represent you basically you're an extension of god so if you're saying things doing things outside of that representation then you know you you are sinning especially if it's to another person and a lot of times when cursing does come into play if it's not in music if it's just us in conversation um a lot of it comes from a place of anger just like with the recording with um kirk and his son it came from a place of anger and so not taken away from his walk not saying that he's i wouldn't deem him not to be a christian because he cursed. I mean, the Bible said that we all fall short and we all see it. But um, just him, I guess, recalling and going back to a place of of being angry but sinning not, of still remembering that that's still his child, and um, it kind of taking him to a place of like Ricardo say, reducing him in that moment. But um, it's still the sin though. One of the interesting things that I I, I, I I was excited about being on this particular panel because culture usually involves uh, language. Language as an expression of culture and language is a thing that is evolutionary. There are words that are in the Bible that are not used in our view as being diminishing or being profane or inappropriate. But the reality is the use of them would they, 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 they were the equivalent of profanity back then, right? We would look at, um, you know, someone, uh, I, I want to blaspheme here, but when you say that someone is like an open sepulcher, right, you are literally telling them that they are, they are an open grave with rotting bodies, right? What I'm saying is when you say uh, brood of vipers, you are not saying this in a complimentary manner. Right. Right. No, I'm not saying that the Lord cussed. What I'm saying is that he used a graphic description that would have illustrated the way that he felt about a particular behavior or a particular situation. Case in point, and I'm going to get a little PG here. You guys would say that someone got his ass whooped. Right. He got a beat down. Uh, the English might call it a proper thrashing. In the Caribbean, in Trinidad and Tobago in particular, you know, you get a cut ass. From a, as a child to a grown man, when you get beat, when you get licks, whether it's disciplinary, whether it's in a fight, you get a cut ass. Would it be sound for me to come and say cut ass and um, if I was delivering a sermon, it would depend on who I'm speaking to because they would understand that the language that I'm using 
is not offensive. It is not diminishing. It is not disrespectful. But if I was in front of a minister of another culture, I would have to be mindful of the fact that he might see it differently. So the language is, is, a, is a factor, right? What you all would call talking smack, we will call shit talk. And you know what? That's not a problem. Hey, no, I was just shit talking to them boys for five minutes. Would I come out and put that in a type of message? It would depend on who I'm speaking to. So the offense now is often based on the context of the language, the, the, the use of the language. So which is why the, the heart aspect of the way that the language is used is important. Right. I saw a comment a young lady posted. It was deemed Pharisee, where she was talking about, you know, uh, out of the mouth, you know, she was saying that that's who Kirk Franklin is because of that sound bite of that screenshot of a conversation. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, she's to a degree, she's right. That was what was in his heart at that point in time. Right. But his heart was moved by a spirit of anger. So angry would be what his words would be. When you move by a spirit of compassion, you speak compassionately. When you moved by a spirit of grief, you speak with grief. So yes, it was a reflection of what was in his heart, but I think it's not fair to attribute that to the, an entirety in terms of his personality and his maturity as a Christian and his feeling as a, as a, 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 a leader. You know, I, I think, yes, that was what was in his heart at that moment. But then again, there was context to uh, the moment as well. Let me get to the, 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 the uh, chat here because the chat is on fire. Yeah, we have, have uh, <laughs> they're going in right now. So Marion says she slightly disagree. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Rose says, I know I'm going to throw a curveball here. Can y'all hear me? Yay, nay. Okay, cool. He said, yeah. I'm going to throw a curveball here, but I don't believe profanity is a sin at all. Two words that are viewed as profanity in our culture are listed in the Bible. Also, profanity is subjective to specific cultures. So by nature, it isn't a sin. It may be frowned on culturally, but it's not something that is disdained by heaven. Now, speaking curses is an entire different thing. Um, Marion says, who deems them bad words? That's, I, I would like to highlight that. William also said, Pastor William said, what about when someone uses the word out side of his definition, i.e. saying I-F-U-C-K when you mess up. Is that a sin? Another question was, I want to make sure we always separate culture and kingdom. Most of what we have shaped as sin is culture and not biblical. Interpretations of the word is interesting. We have to be careful to unpack what the scripture says and also what it meant. That takes studying and scripture above and below the chapter before and after and so on and so forth. Profanity is cultural, yet not a definite sin scripturally. Now, wisdom may suggest careful consideration of our speech, but separating sin and comfort is vital. And then Ms. Tony said, the profane language used today was not the language of the time when the word was written. However, as Ricardo has stated, it is, it is the intent. We know that these words are meant to be hurtful or disrespectful. I'm going into that because I heard a great illustration that I would like to provide to uh, give context to what was just in the statements. I will, dis I will uh, disagree as well. I don't think profanity is necessarily sin. Is it frowned upon? Yes, but profanity, not profane, 
profanity. I think those are two different things. And the reason I say this is by this, uh, by a tent, I think it's based on a tent, right? Kind of like you just said, Ricardo. Um, so there was this, this illustration I heard, and I like to use it when I'm in, when I'm talking about topics like this, uh, a man was in church, church was over he's in the foyer right he passes a deacon and the deacon says this you know what i don't agree with what the pastor was saying on a pulpit today i thought he was very loose-lipped he gave his opinion he didn't give the text in context and i just don't really honor him for what he said i think that what he said was uh I think what he said um, was was of uh, uh, fiction, and I just really don't like the the way he's going with this church and with the way he's teaching our our church. The deacon said right. That same brother went to a Walmart. He ends up going to this Walmart. He get, leaves the Walmart. He's getting food from this Walmart. He leaves the Walmart, right? He sees a babe in Christ, a woman who was just converted and saved. And she said, oh, my God, Pastor Johnson is the S-I-H-S-H-I-T. He know he can preach that word. So. One person actually said a cuss word, a profanity. The deacon didn't. But yet the deacon actually put curses on the pastor. Actually used that H-I-T to Ephesians 4.29. let be to those now as they we know that she didn't use wisdom to say that word but i don't think it's a sin how she said it and i think those are two different things right but we do know that the deacon and what he did was dishonorable and sinful because his intent was to hurt and talk gossip about the pastor so um i want to ask a question uh yeah we're losing your audio a bit you will. we i'm breaking up yeah According to scripture, um, in the word, I'm breaking up again. Jeez, what's going on? Is that better? Is that better? Yeah, you're good for the minute. Okay. So here's my question now. Pertaining profanity and curses, mm -hmm. has the church allowed profanity to be the sin while curses curses go overlooked 
Have we allowed profanity to be the sin while curses go overlooked? Because a lot of times I see even on Facebook, even on social networks with our posts, we cursing pastors. Like we're literally dishonoring them. I see it all the time. And, and, and that's a curse to me. But so are we overlooking curses and calling profanity sin? Beautiful. Because we have an issue with the language that Kirk Franklin used when he was motivated to do so. And the yes, it may not have not 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 have necessarily reflected a spirit of wisdom and one of peace, but the language that he used in a moment where one is already vulnerable and susceptible to losing control because in your anger do not sin. The fact remains that at that point in time we particularly vulnerable. So he did this in that particular situation. How many of us are not even angry? when we are speaking ill of people, when we're gossiping, when we're slandering, when we are intentionally and unemotionally diminishing other people by the things that we are saying and doing. How many of us are sitting at work and then we hear someone get fired and we say, yeah, they deserved it. We have already cast judgment, right? How many of us uh, uh, something happens to someone after they do something to us and we're thinking to ourselves, well, good for them. They, they, I mean, yo, how many of us sit and speak of people and diminish them without addressing them and speak of the way that they're dressing, the way that they're speaking, the life that they're living and they come into church and they want to take communion. And we have things to say about people that are diminishing. It is not edifying. It is not uplifting. It is not even corrective. And we are saying these things from a dispassionate position. We have gotten accustomed to speaking ill of people unemotionally. And yet we are standing by with stones to throw at someone who is speaking from an emotional place. So yes, we have looked at the profanity as the sin. And once you use language that is within the confines of speaking ill of people, we kind of okay with it. You know, it's a smaller type of sin. But if I'm not mistaken, we're going to be held account for every idle word that comes out of our mouth. So while I, I get that culture might allow a certain type of language, and as I tell you, um, Trini, different to the states, I could say things that aren't curses here, that will be curses outside, and you all will say things here that we take offense to. And that's all right, because there are different cultures, there are different contexts, there are different intents and uses. However, outside of culture when i have to face my lord and savior and i have to give an account for my language i would much rather be someone who is explaining a profound statement as opposed to a profane one because that is going to be outside of culture that's going to be a case of well i get that it was cool for who you were speaking to but was it a proper reflection of me and i'll be like yo i did not think of that hence it was an idle word or one vocal with a vain imagination Right? We're looking at cursing and profanity, but let's look at swearing. Swearing and cursing are being used interchangeably, but they are two different things that both symbolize an abuse of the language, an abuse of the words. When the Lord say, don't take my name in vain, and we say, don't swear oaths by the Lord, 
we are we are swearing we are using our words and we are using the 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 thought we're trying to telegraph in a diminishing manner and then we go and we do the same thing to other people and we don't think it's as bad but we're going to be held account to every word everyone it, it doesn't matter how comfortable you are with it or even how culturally appropriate it is you're still going to have to answer for it so i would just from my position i just try not to i mean if i don't have to cuss i don't you know i try not to i prefer not to because if i can use another word if i can use another phrase or description well that would be better for me when i have to answer for those words but we we like we we mad at cussing and we learn slander and gossip and those types of things slide you know so it's like it's all right for you to shoot me with one type of bullet and it's not okay for you to, and it's okay for you to, to, to get away with another one so wow that's real um and i'm gonna try my best not to ramble on this part because it's it's so complicated like you know, like Pastor Roe was saying, man, like certain things really didn't mean, you know, certain things at one point. And then let's let's take T.D. Jakes, for example. So um, T.D. Jakes holds to the King James Version. And when he gets to a certain passage that talks about a donkey, he says ass. And that's the word that's in the Bible. And, you know, the thing is, People have made different definitions for that word, um, but in the context of how he's using it, he's using it straight out, straight out of the Bible. Um, culture does play a lot in language and how we perceive uh, the words that are being spoken. Um, Kirk Franklin, with the whole Kirk Franklin situation, the way I feel from my culture, because even though I'm African American, um, my culture is a ghetto child. You know, I'm I'm from the hood, so I look at things like if it's not my business, I don't dip into it. I don't put my mouth on it. I ain't got nothing to say about it. Um, and that's what the world mess up at, and the church, because we always have something to say about somebody else. And when it comes down to curses, you know, that has been brought into the church when the church want to profane, uh, uh, want to profess holiness, but also downing the people that attend, especially like in the old days when a church mother would call a woman that's inappropriately dressed a Jezebel or something like that. You know, um, tell you the truth, the church is more judgmental than the world and more hypocritical than the world. Um, so like when it comes to words, everybody wants to put a value on certain words. Like I say certain words, like I say crap, damn, you know, and people will say, oh, you cursed. And then most likely it's somebody that's a non-believer watching my life, looking for a chance to, you know, find a flaw in me so they can say, oh, look at him. He just like us. and but I try not to use them expressions in front of unbelievers because I believe um, dealing with words is the same 
you deal with the same principles like dealing with meat, dealing with alcohol that, you know, Paul addressed with, you got to watch who you're dealing with. If you, if you cause a younger brother or sister to stumble, then you in sin. You know, if you using things around people who are sensitive, you are wrong. Um, outside of that, if you're to yourself, then only God can judge you on that based on how you're using it and in the context that you're using it. Um, I feel as if curses do get a pass um, because it's really just based on that person's opinion. Um, and the church may not necessarily see it as them cursing that person, that basically they're just standing on their truth. And I do say that with quotations um, versus saying a curse word or cursing. I know like coming up in the church, it's like you almost get paddled on the back of the hand if you say anything that they feel as if is a curse word. Um, you almost can't even get away with saying as that's in the Bible. But if it's you giving your opinion, which in a lot of ways it is like tearing down, especially when it comes to social media, it's almost like, uh, how do I want to say this? Almost like they want to say, basically it's like a karma thing especially if they did something wrong and they're like in leadership in the church. It's like, oh, they're almost getting what's due to them type thing versus, you know, saying, saying a curse word. I've, um, I've, I've seen even generationally what is acceptable and not acceptable language change. When I was eight, 10 years old, I couldn't run up saying, yo, my brother's lying. I'd have gotten my lips wrong. It's like lying, that's a strong word to use. Okay, well, you're telling our fib, right? And now you're like, yo, you, you hear a kid run saying somebody's lying and you're like, well, all right, they're telling an untruth, you know, and let's get to the matter. So there are things that there's even language that we couldn't use as children that we okay with our children using. Language in itself is evolutionary. The use of language in itself is evolutionary, right? Not using that as an excuse, because the funny thing about it is there is language that we are okay with using, but we do acknowledge that it might be inappropriate to use it in certain places and times, right? Which is where, you know, as Frank was saying, you know, we have to be mindful about who we're dealing with. We have to be mindful about how it reflects, you know, what is someone seeing me do? What is it keeping them comfortable doing when it's something that they're supposed to be working on? And I'm a firm believer of the fact that as a Christian, I'm a, supposed to be a reflection of Christ. And I don't want people thinking when they see me doing certain things that that is Christ-like behavior. So again, I'm not saying that. Right, for me, I'm not going to be walking around dropping F-bombs because I know I don't mean it. You know, I'm not going to do that because somebody's going to look at me and be like, no, I guess I don't have to give up as much as I thought I did when I was becoming a Christian. Or, you know what, I'm a young Christian struggling with my language, and I think it's okay to go ahead and use F-bombs because this other person that I'm seeing and looking to as an example is using it. You know, and you know what the funny thing about the word ass is? If you're telling me, 
right, that this young lady needs to wear something to cover her donkey in church? Well, then I'll get you saying that. You know, you could say that. But you know you ain't talking about no donkey when you say, oh, my boy got his ass whooped. Nobody was walking down the road with a donkey and got into a fight. We know that we're using the word in a different context, right? So it is not even essentially about the word in itself. What I'm saying is if you have a knowledge of what the word can mean, then now who know better do better. You have a responsibility for navigating language with a little more responsibility. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things, you know, the, 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 it is what it is. I, there's, there are words that I have no way, it have no way you could get those words to come out of my mouth. And they aren't even curse words. I'm going to give you an example here. And I'm going to lean a little bit into race, right? There's a word for a country East Indian that would have carried water in buckets or containers on their head. It's called a coolie. That word is an old colonial word for, car for uh, an Indian water carrier. I dare not use that word in any context other than explan explanatory because it is offensive to people of East Indian descent in my country. However, in Jamaica, which is within the Caribbean, that just means someone who has Indian in them. It is a totally different context. I've seen Jamaicans come to Trinidad and use that word and everybody turning around like, yo, homie, time out, you're not home. It means something different here. So in a lot of the cases, yes, it is not the word, it is the intent. But in a lot of other, once you know that the word can be used differently, now you have a responsibility with how you use it. That's just the way that I try to rule. I have a lot of very creative words and phrases that I'm just not comfortable using anymore. I'm just not comfortable using anymore. How, how can I speak a certain way to you and then speak a certain way to you? I, I, it, it just doesn't work. You can't serve God and mammon. You know, is, 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 you know, fresh water, salt water. It, it, it can't be both. And if you know that there's a difference, well, then it's on you. And if you're cool with using both the way you're comfortable using it, yo, no sweat, you know. I just think that I can't do it. I can definitely feel you on that, brother. And um, I feel the same way about the word um, nigga. You know, like when I first got saved and started serving at a church, that word was not allowed. Um, well, I was taught that that word was offensive and shouldn't be used by my pastor that was actually a white man at the time. And then, you know, I started doing Christian rap and started getting into some circles where I had brothers that was using the word. So I felt less, you know, convicted to use it. And then like with the season that we're in now and how sensitive people are, um, I feel it's a big difference on the, the grammar of the word. So like, before I got saved, I had white guys around me that would use the word nigger. And it never bothered me. It never bothered me, never will, till this day. You know, if, if a white guy around me says nigger, it's not going to offend me. 
But if they put the ER on it, nigger, then that's a whole different story, you know? And now people are so offensive about, you know, white guys saying nigger, but it's all in the music. So when, when they rapping a song, they gotta edit the song around certain people because everyone wants to be hypersensitive and it's really not that serious. You and Frank, I feel it on that. I totally feel it on that. Really, really good. Uh, totally uh, feel it. Yes, sir. You. Yeah, no, what I was saying, it was that um, yo, that GGA and GGER thing. It was is it was a big deal, and I'm talking about a country where half of the population is black. Half of the population is black, and you might still raise an eyebrow depending on who you hear sing what line in a song. So how could we? normalize a, um, a type of language and then get to hand pick who gets to use it exactly you know so i and mean that's hypocritical right so now is it a and that's the type of thing that i'm talking about is yep. it hypocritical for me to say yo cussing is not a sin but then i don't cuss when i'm in the office <laughs> I don't, I don't. It's not. It's not a sin, but you're handpicking where you're using it, and I'm not even sure that's a wisdom thing. That's a case of you know that there are different levels of inappropriate, right? There are different levels of inappropriate, and I mean, all talks aside, if the words coming out of my mouth are not edifying, well, then I'm just gonna, I, I'm gonna backpedal on using them, yeah. right? If it doesn't bring grace to the hearers, then I'm gonna backpedal on using them because you know what. I still believe that this is not about Cardo's walk with Christianity. This is about how much of a reflection of Christ am I? You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't have sex in the office too. It's not as soon as I'm right, man, but it is. <laughs> I feel you on that. I feel you on that. And yeah, that's the thing is different levels are inappropriate. So here's my or thing. Appropriate, here's, yeah. here's my, uh, so I have a question to that because uh, I think Paul stated this uh, eloquently when he says, I'm all things to all men. And, I, and, and a scripture came to mind that I actually notated down here. Um, I'm trying to find it, y'all. Colossians 4 and 6, where it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, said that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I think, Cardo, you hit it on the head earlier. It will depend the person on what your speech should be like. And, um, but that doesn't, again, everything goes back to wisdom. I think everything goes back to wisdom. So you have to use wisdom in whenever you're addressing someone and knowing your audience and knowing the people that you're, uh, you're around. Cause I'm sure that Paul's speech wasn't the same with the Gentiles that it was with the Hebrews. Like he knew that he had to speak a certain way, act a certain way, address certain things in a certain manner based on that so let me ask a uh another question here be mindful right right i agree with that so let me ask a question what can the church learn from this the kirch franklin situation what can the church learn from this are personal what can you learn from this Because I want to highlight a scripture that Carlos uh, Ricardo, I'm saying Carlos Ricardo said earlier that Jesus 
I don't even know why I said color, but it said, but in Matthew, she said this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. So I think like Jesus always did, he doesn't just make it about the action itself. He makes it about the heart and context behind it. For example, when he talked about adultery, he didn't say the act, he said the thought. If you think this thing, you've already committed it in your heart. So if you speak this thing, if you speak it with a certain heart, you've already, you'll be accounted for that. And I, I don't think it's necessarily just your words that you speak. It's the words you type, the words we text. Man, if I go in some of y'all group texts, <laughs> if I go in some of the group texts, Jesus don't even have to talk about you. Where he'll just say, he'll just pull up your phone and just be scrolling it and say, you remember this right here on Friday? <laughs> Eight o'clock. You know, <laughs> you know it's crazy. We as Christians, right? Sometimes we have to take auto download off of our group chats because we know some of this stuff that people are going to be posting. And we know we don't want that to save on our phones, right? And we don't know that it's there. I'm saying is we, we're still in environments that facilitate a lot of folly, right? And we are party and parcel of this thing that we're complaining about. What's killing me with Kirk, right, is this dude started an international discussion. And I, I thank the Lord for it, right? As I say, you, you can't tell the Lord to use me and then you're upset with how he use you, right? Uh, even as we reference that ass in numbers, right, that donkey went on to speak a word because Balaam was not seeing an angel that was laying in wait for him because of his disobedience, right? So I am not even fretting about it. What I'm saying is that Kirk Franklin, right, said something in anger that any one of us could possibly have done if confronted and backed into a corner where anger felt like the only way to respond to the situation. Being disrespected by your child has to be one of the most frustrating things for a parent to deal with, especially to be disrespected by a child who came with the intention of putting you on stage, right? He was navigated into a place where he spoke out in a way that we are clutching pearls about when we've done it for less, but we have different expectations of him because he could sing. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Right, so 20 million people heard this thing, 100 million people heard this thing, and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing that's going to happen. And then when you're in front of the Lord, he's going to be asking you about things that ain't nobody else ever saw. You know, <laughs> it's like, yo, we literally, we, we looking at the beams in people's eyes. We looking at the splinters in people's eyes, right? And we have our own to deal with. When you see someone with something in his eye, you should be thinking to yourself, well, I should check mine, not look at his. You know what I mean? Yo, this cussing thing, I'm telling you, I could curse you out without using a single disrespectful word. I'm a wordsmith. 
you know, I, I like language. I could find ways to condescend to you. I could compliment you and make you feel like the thing that you wipe off the bottom of your shoe, the thing that the thing under your shoe wipes off. And if you look at it in text, there is nothing about it that is insulting because it is my tone, it is my delivery, it is the context, it is my heart, right? So, I mean, the words in itself may not necessarily be the most appropriate things or pleasurable to hear or the best reflections of Christ, right? But don't let the fact that somebody did something publicly make you feel like the things you do in less publicly any better because they're more popular than you. This is not about a platform thing. This is not even about a rich thing. Yeah, I, I just, it's killing me that people are gonna be whispering and sniping. And I'm telling you right now, thank you for that. Right now there are people who's like, wait boy, this boy could real talk, <laughs> you know, in our talk, in our talk circle. What's in this, it's just our nature, right? And as black people, we have to try to figure out why are we continuing to normalize diminishing thought processes? Why are we continuing to, to perpetuate diminishing conversation. Why is it so normal for us to look at our kids and be like, yeah, you, I, I get cussed when I was small too. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's a thing, you know, it's a thing. We, this is a symptom of a bigger issue. This is not about Kirk Franklin's righteousness. You know what I mean? This is about our position as the mob. I love it. Um... For one, I still feel like <laughs> uh, people should mind their business, you know. But at the same time, Kirk was wrong. You know, Kirk was wrong for handling his son like that. Um, but what should be done and learned from the church is understand that people have issues. No matter how big of a platform they can build, they still have issues. And anyone that's close to Kirk should be trying to help mend that relationship. They should be going to that brother and, and reaching out and asking, is there any kind of way that I can help and be a mediator between you and your son? That's the right thing to do. Anything else besides that, it's none of our business. And uh, with me, I have used words like, um crap and damn but at the same time i've never told any of my kids to get out my damn face you know or i'll slap the hell out of you you know i've never used words that i use in the context to threaten my children degrade my children or anything like that and just like what ricardo was touching on some things we learn especially coming from our parents. And we think that's uh, normal. And unfortunately, you know, I have an older daughter that I had in my teens before I was married. And unfortunately I treated her like my dad treated me. And I thought that was the right way to do it because my dad got me right by handling me like that. But I didn't know it was wrong. And, you know, to tell you the truth, probably about two years ago, I had to pull it to the side and Till I apologize for the way I treated her. Because, you know, as I grew in Christ, I got wisdom and I understood that as a father, psychologically, I had wounded her. And that, you know, my kids within my marriage 
I was smart enough to know now, hey, don't don't do that. Don't repeat the same processes that my dad did with me or my mom did with me because I'm still burnt by some of that stuff. I, I you know, some people, even though they're grown, they still live life based around what somebody said, how they handled them. And, you know, they living in a in a loop, almost like Groundhog's Day, because they're damaged from the words that someone that's supposed to take care of them, love them unconditionally, misuse that and abuse them. Well said, Frank. Well said. That segues into a question I wanted to ask, and it was a side question. And I will open this up to the to the circle as well. We have have we normalized verbal abuse in, in parenting? Have we normalized verbal abuse in general? In the black culture, yes. Yo, let me get on that dude, like right quick, and then I'm gonna actually kick the mic over to uh, real for a minute because I think this is running out loud. Get a catch, right? What we all know as it does is we call people, right? It's shit talk. You know, you're, you're trying to smack you. You're looking for ways to, you know, this the other person. Check your audio, Ricardo. Still a little bit low. It's low. Am I good now? Oh, uh, you oh, might have to show. Everyone in the comments are agreeing with that. Keep going. He's saying to keep going. Everybody's in the comments agreeing with that, that we have normalized verbal abuse in parenting. So, so I'll bring this question to the circle. How do we remify? How, how, what's the remedy in that? What will we use as the remedy based on that? Um, because I'm sure that Kurt actually got that from someone and he just has used it over. Yes, he was mad, but he learned it from somewhere. Marion, yes. Um, so I would say the remedy is just when Jesus said the main two laws, okay, he said, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said, there are no other laws that are greater than these. And I think in our life to make it practical, how we go about talking to each other, that is really based off of like, okay, um, God help me to love this person. Okay. And so I think that even in our speech, like I feel like Kirk talked to his son. I know people say that was him talking to his son, but what if he was talking to another person like that? I don't think that kind of speech at all to say, I'm gonna stomp you or I can't even remember exactly what he said. I'm not judging him, but I'm just the, the words that he said. Okay, if he said that to another person, that would be an issue that is abusive language. So I think in general, I know we all get upset, but still at the end of the day, um, being mindful, like, okay, is what I'm about to say going to hurt this person, you know? And so there's a way where, okay, I, maybe I'm really upset right now and maybe I need to bring it back. But like I stated in the comments, 
we have to consistently check our hearts because a lot of times when anger like that happens for me personally is stuff that have gone unchecked okay so anger that i've let build up in me um and i have not checked that and therefore now i'm going off on you and i'm angry with you and different things like that so i think at the end of the day we have to consistently um you know, do maintenance on our heart, you know, and how we feel and the anger that's within us. Um, because I do think that is a cause and, and us using abusive language. You know, I would have no reason to, to tell anybody I'll slap the hell out of them. There'll be no, no purpose. Like, I don't want to do that. One, I love you and I value your body. I would not want to inflict any pain nor threaten that I will hurt you in any way. I would not want to do that. So I think. We really do have to take those commandments when Jesus said, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself and really focus on um, how does this person, you know, how can I love this person? And if what I'm going to say may be unloving to this person, I may need to take a step back um, and then assess and try that conversation again. I think that's really good wisdom. I really, really do think that's really, really good wisdom. Um, now, now I'm gonna be honest, uh, Marion. If, if 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 someone mess with my wife or my sons, I'm I'm gonna really want to slap the hell out of them. <laughs> it's just, it's, I, I'm just gonna want to slap them. Um, probably, I'm going to jail, bro. Kind, yeah. Me, but context is everything. I wanna, I won't let you know. Um, wanted to touch on some scripture because they've been talking about it in the chat. I believe Minister Vanessa did bring this up. Matthew twenty three. Jesus was going off on the Pharisees, and he said some language to him. I think uh, I want to say Carlos. Why Ricardo said uh, even. Brood of brood of vipers, like that's what Jesus said to the Pharisees. He called them blind fools. He called them blind guys. He called them hypocrites multiple of times. He called them foxes. There's even a part where the Pharisees called Jesus uh, Beelzebub, the Lord of Flies. Translation lets us know that he he was actually saying that he full of s. That's one of the translations of it. So there's different contexts um where jesus was talking and talked to some of these people so how can we reconcile with that where we see jesus in some of these situations he is using some very harsh language um and is it okay because it's jesus or was he saying it in a, a certain context in which justifies it want to hear some of y'all feedback pastor Ro, i see your hand up yeah so you know obviously i've been in the comments tonight <laughs> and i know i'm not necessarily um saying everything everyone wants to hear but uh i do think that one as a pastor first uh it is my responsibility that when i speak on the word of god uh that i do so with clarity right and in the context of which the scripture is actually speaking in right and so this isn't to challenge anybody's thoughts just it's, uh, some of you know this, I've been on the journey in my entire uh, walk of pastoring. Uh, when I made the transition into this, into this seat, I literally got a word from God that said, forget everything that you think that you know, 
other than Jesus is Lord, he died for your sins. And God challenged me to go back on a journey through the scripture to digest the word according to his heart. Um, and I'm even, uh, I say I still am on that journey in the sense that if someone asks me a question today and I feel that my response is gonna be rooted in tradition based upon how I was taught, I will put that question on pause until I can come back and address it with conviction according to the word of God. As it relates to profanity um, versus cursing, uh, I, I have a very, very strong belief system around this uh, and, and very strong conviction. I put a question in the comments earlier about if it's not definitive on earth, how can we make it definitive in heaven, right? So if language is cultural, uh, if profanity is cultural, which means it has a moving target in how it's viewed from culture to culture, uh, from country to country, in some cases from city to city, we can't even call things the same thing. We call, we have soda, pop, and cold drinks, right? So if it's culturally different, then I don't think that we can put a pin in something with heaven's backing that we can't even put a pin in in the earth, right? So I, that's where I want to bring us on the subject of profanity in particular. This is not the opinion at, at this point, the assertion of thought based on opinion. It's also understanding, of course, because we have all these things we do with the scripture, right? Where we try to redefine why it happened in the Bible and why it's not happening now. Even something as simple as one of the most profound miracles Jesus did in turning water to wine. Do you know how many times I've heard preachers preach that and say, but it wasn't wine like today, it was grape juice. No, it was actual wine. And the miracle was twofold that Jesus was able to turn water, a substance that shouldn't become wine, into wine. And also wine requires a fermenting process. So the fact that it could actually be fermented was an additional layer of the miracle, right? So when we come now to language, right? When I go into the scripture and I can see the word ass and I go into the scripture and I can see the word damn. Now, I, if, if, if it is utilized in the word, whatever context is used in, you, we also have to have limitations on how often we're going to allow the redefining of a word to then move the target on what is sin and not sin. So if we redefine the word house, and it has been, right? We talk about she's a brick house saying that her body looks a certain way. If we keep rede redefining every word, we don't have anything rooted in the heart of God according to scripture. So that's where we have to begin to understand, you know, we have so, such strange isogesis of the word of God and how we go through the extraction of it to understand, which pushes us into this this deeper level of study, understanding that every scripture I read requires me to go above and, be, and below it, chapters uh, ahead of it and after to truly understand the heart of God. Like I said in the comments, Matthew 23, if we go culturally, many people would have said Jesus cursed the Pharisees out. His whole handling, I love Matthew 23. I love it because I love how Jesus responded because I'm, I could be ratchet too. And so whenever somebody says, well, you can't be righteous because you're a ratchet, I said, well, will you just go over to Matthew 23, right? When everybody said you can't be petty because you're a pastor, I said, well, let's look at Elijah. Because when Elijah was going against the prophets of Baal, he was super petty. He said, I think your God sleep. Maybe y'all need to get louder and dance a little more, right? This is why so I'm pushing, I'm pushing for us to separate cultural comfort from what is frowned upon in heaven. Because now when we put the sin nature onto something, then we say this is something that can create distance between us and God. And this is something that 
by the nature of the Christian church, when we put the sin label on it, we say this is something that can separate us from entry into heaven. And, and that's why I feel like we have to be careful about the sin component. If we go just a step further, and I know I'm opening the can of words, I'm gonna shut up because I'm saying a lot, right? Uh, but if we, there's so much we can unpack. There are so many people who still believe to this day that getting a tattoo is a sin based upon Leviticus, you know, based upon Leviticus, and they don't understand the totality of that, that what was happening in that time period. And they don't even read the whole chapter because in the same chapter that people utilize to frown upon tattoos, it tells us not to eat meat, not to wear uh, uh, clothes that are blended um, fabric. It tells us not to cut our hair, not to shave. All of these things are stated in the same scripture that we will stand up and then say it is a sin to get tattooed. What was happening was there was a particular culture then, there were particular people, there were particular tribes. And what God wanted to make sure is that the Levitical tribe was clearly identified, right? So what he was doing was saying, hey, in order for people to understand who you are and to know who you are associated with, I'm going to ask you not to do these things so that there's clear separation based upon tribal difference. It was not something that was being recorded into law as a, of something that we could no longer do, uh, but it was literally for that time period. And then, and I'm gonna shut up, it makes it then go deeper. Sometimes when we look in the scripture, understanding when in the scripture we are gleaning from because something was being spoken to a specific audience, based upon a time period. So when are we being, when are we gleaning from specifically? And when are we being spoken to in the word of God? Because there are some scriptures that we are only reading to glean from. They were not even, when Paul was writing to certain churches, he wasn't writing to you and I, he was addressing a specific church and we are to glean from it, but it wasn't written to us, all right? So anyway, I'm gonna be quiet on that, but I, I wanna make sure that at the end of the day, we separate what is sin, right? And what is culturally comfortable and uncomfortable. Because if we, if we start saying profanity is sin, we can't even agree in the earth on what is profanity. It's a moving target. So we can't agree on it in the earth. There's just no way you're going to make me believe that heaven has a definitive answer on it. And on that note, I'll be quiet. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Mary said, what would be the clear definition of sin? That's a good question. So from my study, sin, the definition of sin, something that separates you from God. And then you ask yourself, okay, what well, will separate me from God? William said, clear definition, anything that separates you from God. Yup, just anything. So then you'll have to ask yourself the question, what will separate me from God? Yo, you will if I might quick. Um, when, and this is not defense, this is a reminder that I acknowledge what Pastor Rose said, that there is absolute and there's conditional. And when we're talking about in this case, what if if I defining sin as um, profanity as sin, the grounds on which I'm defining profanity as sin is because I see any action that I take that is not reflecting God's will or glory, anything outside of 
the will of God as being sinful. Which is why I also went on to stress the value of the context, the culture, as well as the intent. You know, is is I think it's really, really important. And I totally support that concept of not applying sin to positions and to things that we can't even agree on as being sinful. Right. Um, I just want to stress that my I don't want to call it a pronouncement, but my position is based on a specific context. And that context is if I say something that I know or even don't know, but if I say something that is intentionally or unintentionally diminishing to someone else, if I'm speaking to someone or I'm talking about a thing that is not edifying and uplifting, and if I'm not uplifting and I'm not supporting, there's a very real possibility that I am detracting from. So I try not to even err on the side of, I, I don't even want to risk the fact that I might be misunderstood. I take it very seriously, the responsibility I have with how I present what I present. So the idea of sin now is not even a reflection of the culture. It's a reflection of how at, uh, how at peace I am, how much it lines up with scripture according to my understanding, my experience, my teachings. How does it line up to the word of God? Is the Holy Spirit convicting me? What have my peers in study? What have my uh, mentors and teachers been saying? What I'm saying is I subject my position to a, a, an educated culture more than an opinionated one. Because if there's anybody hear me say it before, they'll hear me say it again. There's a way that seems right unto a man, and the end of that road is death. So I just to make sure that everybody know that the position I'm speaking from is not one of absolute authority. You know, this is a, I don't want people to feel like if we say different things here, as you also pointed out in the beginning, that if we, in different positions, that we can't be united still. You know, there's not about checking to see, well, how many people agree with me so I was right. It was like, is there something I can learn? You know, that, that whole um, sin versus spiritual comfort thing, that, that, was, that was heat. That was heat. Yeah, that's, that's it, my brother. And then... um. We also need to take responsibility also for um, our weaker brothers and sisters because everyone has an opinion, but not everyone has the theological knowledge and wisdom that they should because everyone is supposed to study, to show themselves approved. And people be saying stuff and be asking like, you know, they'll tell you something and be like, yeah, that's in the Bible. And then it's not there. You know, like people say cleanliness is next to godliness and say it's a scripture, but it's not a scripture. And and our society has gotten so comfortable in just taking on what the pastors say or what someone in leadership say instead of studying behind them and being like um, the noble Bereans, you know, when Paul came to them, they didn't just take what Paul said, even though Paul had the authority. They went, researched, and then brought Paul in because they confirmed what he said was true. We got to just stop taking everything that everybody say, study for ourselves, research it, and make sure it's right before we start opening our mouths and spreading that to other people and just keeping the the cycle of biblical ignorance going on like it has been for, for centuries. 
I agree with that. I was just reading the comments. They going in on the comments, y'all. Y'all, they going in on the comments. So let me see if I can go all the way back. I can't go all the way back. So I'm going to try to go back. As far as I can. Lord. So Mary, Mary, Mary as a definition of sin. And I think that I think that's a great question because we're calling profanity sin. What's the definition of sin? So I have my reservations on what that would be, but I will let y'all go. Miss Minister Vanessa says sin will be considered a transgression that goes against divine law. When we speak a sin nature, refer to the fact that we have a nature inclination of to sin. We don't lose our sin nature. Once we receive Christ, it's a constant struggle. See, I would say, Minister, Minister Vanessa, we do, according to 1 Corinthians 5 and 21, if I'm mistaken. All things are passed away. All things are new and old things have passed away. I think what we don't lose pertaining to the sin nature is the, the mind of it. I think we, we lose the nature because we have changed natures. We have changed our sin nature to righteousness, which is our now nature in Christ Jesus. But I do think that we lose what we do still have is the mind that needs to be renewed daily. But I think the nature itself is gone. But if you still think you have something, even though it's removed, then you have to train yourself to say, hey, I now no longer has this thing. Yeah, but that's my interpretation. Yeah, I, I, I agree because uh, the, the premises, we say that the old man has passed away, right? And we talk about old wine skins and new wine. And we get comfortable with the idea that we will always have an inclination towards sin. Now, the thing is, to have an inclination towards sin and to have the habit of indulging it is two different things. You know, it's, it's like we to, to abide in sin is not the same as to have fallen and you're getting back up. You know, to, to be comfortable in a position of sinfulness, to be comfortable in a mindset, to be comfortable in a behavior. Uh, that, I think that's scaled a little differently to being human, I made a mistake. I've fallen short of the glory of God. Yeah. The, one of the things that happens is the level of, I believe the level of comfort you have. Yeah, thank you, Minister. The inclination is there, but it doesn't mean that we do it, right? So it's like my, uh, a buddy of mine was telling me a couple of years ago, when you, your tires need aligning, right? Your cars are inclination to pull to one side or another. And that inclination to pull, of course, is where Jesus comes in. Because if we try to hold the wheel for ourselves, we get tired, we lose concentration, and sooner or later, the problem, doesn't sol the problem isn't solved because we never really got the tires aligned for me literally means keep me on course because I get tired of trying to keep myself on course. Right? So part of it is not just about how much I 
want to be righteous or how much I want to do the right thing, how much I want to be like Christ is about how much help I get from Christ to be Christ-like. You know, that, that struggle, that inclination to lean in a particular direction, it will be there. But the thing is, we will do things we don't want to do. And there are things that we want to do we would not do. So the, the sin nature is a thing that we might have to live with, but that doesn't mean that it's us. You know, if, if you, you can't fight yourself. You have to recognize that this thing in you that you have to live with is not who you are. It is something you have to contend with. So I, I wouldn't, I would, I would be hesitant to claim too much ownership and call it my nature. <laughs> I, 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 there's a sin nature that exists within me, but I ain't claiming it at all. That's not mine. That's not mine. My nature is to try to please God and to seek God. Mortify yourself daily. That's what we're saying. Yeah, William. So this Trinity, if you don't, don't get, well, for me, I try not to get comfortable in the fact that I will always have a struggle. You know, I try not to get, I, 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 don't, I don't want any ownership of it at all. Paul said he has a thorn. You know, he has a thorn. <laughs> That's not, uh, he, Paul has a thorn. That's not Paul's thorn. You forget what I'm saying. There's, there's a difference. That's good. That's good. I'm I'm going through the 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 comments, man. I love it. No, I, I have I'm to really I have to save that. I have to save these comments before the um before right the, uh, right so that I could go read them. Y'all going in? I'm 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 listening and reading comments. That's really good. So Rachel says, so if in John all manners of sin shall be forgiven and blasphemy, right? Only things that are recorded to not be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Bible, same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? It still goes back, um, belief to the heart of man. If it goes against what God says, then it's sin, right? I think, well, I know from this standpoint, from a biblical standpoint, sin is any transgression against God, his law, his divine law, and his word. I think anything that goes against that, those trans, any transgressions that goes against his divine law and his word is sin. Those things can separate you from God. And what does separation looks like? So Marion said, I believe, also believe that we, that what may be sin for one may not be sin for another. I think there are, I, so I, I, I agree to that to an extent. I think that personal conventions in that, in that place, but there are definitely laws that are sinful. Like if you, if you murder and I murder, that is both considered sin. But I do agree as, as well as far as conviction is concerned. I think that's right. Like in my heart, I can feel something so strongly and be convicted by that for me it's a transgression but someone else may not feel that way like i may feel hey eating meat um as someone who do voodoo house is a transgression i may be convicted by that somebody else may have a whole plate of whole plate of food there so i i, I do 
agree with that. I do agree that some personal convictions are definitely, I can feel strong there. I could that let me ask a question to that right and then point to Christians and say hey it could it be based on personal convictions at that point we missed some of the question you were breaking up a little bit Man, I apologize. I don't like this breaking up thing. So what I was, what I said was, is based on sin, um, some sins can be personal conviction. Personal convictions can be sins for other people. Is that where believers tend to then point to other believers to say they sin based on their personal convictions and not necessarily based on the Word of God itself? Can I answer that? I would say yes. I think that the question you just asked is the genesis of the formation of denominations. I think that um, uh, personal interpretation of the word that then became something that was adapted by a group of people until it became a larger group of people and then a larger group of people and larger and it, the larger and larger it became, it became a denomination. So uh, I think that we are one of the most diluted faith and belief systems um, because of if you go through all the different belief systems, and I'm not going to say that there aren't any other faiths that are challenged with um, diversification of the belief or the interpretation, but it does seem that in the Christian faith, it is the most diluted and the most diverse and has the most denominations which tells me that if something has that many interpretations and denominations, then people have struggled to get to the heart of God, right? And I think that, I honestly think that the more we push people to understand the heart of God, right, which is the primary responsibility, even as a pastor, you know, I have removed this mindset of being a bridge to God. I'm very clear with people on the fact that it's my, God gives me insight for oversight for a body of people, but mostly what my responsibility is to do is to awaken the passion and relationship for people to know God. And the more people know God, then they know their access to God is not through me, right? Their access to God is available no matter where they are and then embrace their own authority as a believer, right? So I, I think that even in this discussion, I don't know that we would ever reach a place of agreement um, because I think that it is a true indication of where we are as a faith. I think as a faith, we are at a place that we don't truly understand the heart of God in all matters. And because we don't truly understand the heart of God in all matters, we've opened ourselves up for the interpretation of man. And the interpretation of man is what has created so many different divisions and denominations to the point that now we have a diluted faith. We can rarely come into agreement to be effective as a complete body of Christ. And we have more internal war than we do externally as a result of it. I saw that, um, I think it was, as the will put into the comments earlier, that there is an entire belief system around the fact that women cannot, that if women wear pants, they're going to hell. There's an entire belief system 
that that puts being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit against being baptized in Jesus' name, right? There are so many interpretations of the scripture in our faith that I think the largest work that we must do is to get to the heart of God. And I, honestly, I think that, you know, what the scripture says, study to show that self-approved. I actually think probably 90% of believers, and I include the pulpit in that, a lot of pastors don't actually study the word of God. Uh, and because we don't know the word of God, we don't know the heart of God in many matters, right? Uh, or we don't even have acquaintance with the Holy Spirit to be led and guided uh, into truth as well. And so then uh, this is what I, this is my last piece and I'll be quiet. I know I'm talking a lot tonight. I think that when we have not studied <laughs> to show ourselves approved, then we got to do that other study that the Bible says is study to be quiet. So if I'm not approved, then I got to shut up until I know what I'm speaking on. And that's what I've adapted. Like I've adapted a mindset that I'm not going to speak on anything that I'm unclear on um, because I understand the weight of my words. And if I toss my thoughts out into the atmosphere that I'm unclear on, then I open the door for other people to follow a path that I have not readily established in truth. Ricardo. Yeah, bro. Um, I, I was going to apologize for speaking too much, but uh, this is what we had to do, right? Uh, okay, so the, the, the concept of personal convictions, if we are different parts of one body, right, we have an overlying objective. Love God, mind, heart, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have a commission. God, spread the gospel. The, the reason I believe that we have different convictions is because we actually just different body parts. So what happens is I am a toenail. I might be your left toenail, you know, the little baby toenail that doesn't grow all the way out sometimes. And I am looking at a knee and saying, but that knee ain't doing what I'm doing or it ain't doing what I think is right. So something has to be wrong with what the knee is doing. Right? We have liver cells that are looking at lung cells and think that the liver cells doing something wrong because they have different convictions. I think we're looking at convictions and we're not realizing that if all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose, they work together, right? Why would all the parts be driven to function in the exact same manner to then come together to complete another function? We united but different is such a beautiful concept because it reminds us that what we are seeing as denominations might very well have been a bunch of people who have similar personal convictions gathering. And because the convictions sometimes look slightly different to other gatherings, we start looking at each other to see what are they doing wrong. So now you have an eyeball that is looking at an airlobe and saying the airlobe is in the wrong position entirely. They are functioning from the wrong position. They are focused on the wrong thing and they're not doing what this righteous church called to do. 
So we actually create denominations, we actually create divisions. To answer Pastor Rosalia's question as to why we're so divided in terms of our different varying beliefs, I think we're still struggling to grasp that singular concept that we are different members of one body. We're still expecting the other organs and the other cells that combine to make those organs to look like our cells and our organs. So we're not even about working together, we are about looking the same. That's so good, bro. I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I say that all the time. I think that we have created um, really more or less uh we're trying to create an identity of everyone looking the same as opposed to everybody working collectively together. I love that. I love that. Minister Vanessa in the, in the chat's going off, y'all. She said some pastors want an emotional response instead of scriptural deliverance because they won't get the credit. Therefore, the studying of the word gets diminished. And the body suffers from lack of biblical nutrition. I agree. I agree. I realize I have church hurt. I realize I have church hurt. I, I go into things with a mindset of scrutiny. You know, I, I go in with the mindset of not that I'm unwilling to change my position, but I'm going in to be convinced. And sometimes that does not work in my favor. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Being open-minded is something that you have to, well, I have to practice and be cognitive of. So what happens is I would look at the way uh, pastors are shepherding. I would look at the way uh, YouTubers are presenting. I would look at the way musicians are recording. And I'm going in thinking, if I did not know anything about God, would I have learned it from this? And honestly, there were times where I seriously struggled with hypercriticism. I'm like, yo, that <laughs> it's like, why is why is why is do why do why does he have to dress like that? I mean, why why does he have to speak like that? Is that necessarily the best way to deliver? And then I'm I'm like, yo, you you even hearing what he's saying or are you busy trying to figure out how much it's this the waiter you wanted is this the servant you wanted you know is it a case of i some people like a waiter in a restaurant and the reason i'm using waiter is because the minister is to serve right and waiters serve so no offense but it is what it is if i go to a waiter who comes and wants to small talk chit chat find out how my day was and ask one set of questions before he serves me up a meal, then there are some servers who are not going to suit me. If I come in and I just want my order taken and my meal prepared, well, then there are some waiters that are not going to suit me. But if I go in through waiter after waiter, church after church, congregation after congregation, community after community, and all I'm thinking is, they ain't doing it how I want to do it. Well, then there's a very real possibility that the issue is not with all the environments that I'm being exposed to. The commonality is me. I might need to take these glasses off 
and get them a little polish and a little wax, a little wipe. Everybody can't be cloudy. It might be something wrong with my vision. It might be something wrong with my perspective. It might be a case of I am looking for things in community that I am supposed to bring because this is a community. I am supposed to share as much as I receive. I am supposed to help build as much as I'm supposed to get from. So I am going into places and saying, they don't do enough worship here. And because they don't do enough worship, instead of saying, hey, how about we get some worship up in here? I am in that. I'll be like, nah, they don't do enough, they don't do enough worship. I'm, I'm leaving. And another church where they need someone to come in and say, Yo, I love what you guys are doing, but this is starting a song a little bit more like Christian self-help than it is scriptural, right? So I don't know if maybe we could lean a little bit more into the scripture. Instead of saying that, I'll watch and be like, yeah, they're not scripture-led enough and leave. And then somebody else will be like, I'll, I'll go into another um, environment and say, you know what? They're not spirit-led enough. They're so scriptural that not legalistic and leave. And what I'm saying is we are looking at communities, we are looking at leaders, we are looking at people in positions, we are looking at different levels of minister and critiquing when maybe the critique is the opportunity for us to contribute. The issues that we might be seeing in church might be because instead of us serving, we go in expecting to be served. A new a baby Christian could come into your church and ask a question that nobody else considered if they're given a chance to speak. If, if, what they are, if what they're asking reminds you how much you have strayed from the basics, what I mean is everyone has a contribution to make. And sometimes the environment is not necessarily receptive to contributions like that. So then, you know what, the good idea that I have that was supposed to strengthen this community is lost because I have to go somewhere else. So there's, I will always say, I get the environments we're in aren't perfect and the communities we're in aren't perfect, but I'll always ask the question first, what can I do about me in this? After I answer that question, if I say, listen, this play is not spirit-led enough, and then I bring it up, we try to work on the issue because that might be the contribution I have to make. If it is not received, I'd be like, well, then maybe this is not the place for me to make a contribution. But sometimes we just go through these revolving doors, these, you know, we walk in, nope, don't see it, walk out. You know, this pastor to this, this pastor to that, you know, this choir to this. You know, I could sing, why not get a call up? You've been there two weeks. <laughs> they don't know your name, you know, but you, you, you want a solo in the next event. You know, I mean, this is like, we, me first, I'm sorry. It's not about me, but I will always try to fix my perspective first, adjust my perspective first. So I'll scrutinize everything, 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 everything. I'll, I'll go in with a mind of scrutiny, but because I'm looking for a way to help. Mary, I see your hand up. Yes, um, I think even when it comes to just the sin and even when it comes to the, the uh, initial, the initial topic at hand, Kirk Franklin and his response, I really think that if we do focus on our own purpose and our own function, I love Ricardo, how you put that, like we're all different parts um, of the body. We all do different things. And I think to, to even help, like if we literally just focus on what God is calling us, me to do personally, 
Um, I won't get too caught up in, okay, who was right, who was necessarily wrong, because at the end of, end of, at the, end of the day, I'm busy doing what I need to do. If somebody come and ask me a question, listen, I don't know about them, but I know about me. I know what God told me. And I think that will help avoid just the, even the confusion as far as like what's right and what's wrong. Okay. You know what God has spoken to you. You know your purpose. There are certain places you don't need to go because of your purpose. There are certain things you don't need to say because of your purpose. And I think that when we just dive into that and just focus on that, and when we are focusing on our purpose, then we are edifying the body of Christ. I won't have to say anything necessarily. You know, my hand doesn't have to say anything to my foot or anything. As long as my hand is doing what it needs to do, then I'm in the right lane. So, yes, most definitely like... um Nikki said, mind your own business. I mean, focus on what you supposed to focus on. And I think that would just avoid a lot of the confusion. I don't need to worry about if you wearing skirts or pants. That's not my business. That doesn't have anything to do with my purpose. So, yeah. I think we're going to there. That was really good. Dance, who corrects the Holy Spirit does one, and also, of course, focus on purpose. Either spiritual authority. You was cutting up, you. If you don't mind repeating yourself. No, I apologize. One, the Holy Spirit, but also. God will align you. If you're focusing on what God is telling you to do, he will align you with spiritual authority who will correct. He will align you with mentors that will correct. He'll put you in the right positions and places for those who, who correct you. Because a lot of times there are people who are trying to correct you that shouldn't be correcting you. But God will align you with that. Absolutely. But would I be willing to take the correction from that person if I feel as if they should just worry about what they have going on? Well, I think the Holy Spirit will also convict you in that moment, too. I think it's twofold. I think a lot of times, especially with spiritual leaders, leadership, if God is speaking to them to correct you, God has already convicted you as well um, to certain consent to receive it. Now, it's up to you to receive it and allow the spirit to use you and shift you in those moments. But there's no doubt in my mind, if you're following God and you're aligning with he's telling you to do, and if someone's there to correct you, to align you and put you in the right posture, your, your Holy Spirit is definitely going to receive that. Now, if you don't want to listen to it, because we always got the, the gift of free, free will, that's another thing, because that can happen. But if you're aligning with what God is aligning you to, then most definitely. I want to say this, and this is, a, <laughs> this is an open question to anybody who wants to answer. Um, if you're struggling to determine whether or not sin, I mean, a cursing is a sin or not, why would you want to take a chance on it possibly being wrong rather than do what you know is right? I think that's where personal conviction comes in. And Ricardo how, uh, said it earlier, if you in your heart think something is wrong, then don't do it. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, if you think that, hey, me cursing is wrong, then don't do it. But I will also would like you to study and see what cursing is versus curses. Profanity is versus profane. Be educated. Because what a lot of things that happen too in the body of Christ, we're not biblically educated and we're doing things based on what we think or how we feel without any word to it. So I will also encourage you to study. Study to show thyself approved. And from there, then once you have that education, then biblical education, then move in your assignment. But also, if you feel convicted, be quiet at that moment until you understand it. Study to shut up. That's biblical as well. Yo, study to shut up. I um, I love it. You would go through Proverbs and you'd be amazed at how many times wisdom and a still tongue or wisdom and silence or wisdom and, you know, withholding a response go hand in hand. Right? Down here, um, what <laughs> my dad says, well, not my dad alone, is a thing. They say, shut up and let people like you. Right? And sometimes you don't say anything and they don't know how much you don't know. You open your mouth and you'll confirm yourself a fool. study to shut up again <laughs> love that <laughs> this is also true i love i love how you responded to that you know um you know i i, I would say in addition like, again if you're caught in a balance on something err on the side of caution you know but also be careful not to judge someone who's not caught in the balance who may have definitive direction on a particular subject matter based upon study uh, of an understanding of the word. And I think that that's what we get in error when we may be in the balance of something or we may be passionate about something based upon the way we were taught and instructed um, uh, versus in the way in which we have studied, right? And so if we haven't studied and we don't have clear understanding of something, I think it's prudent for us to try. It's just like, I've seen so many people use words wrong, right? Because they heard somebody say it and so they were like, oh, I'm going to sound smart by saying this. So I'm going to regurgitate what I heard without understanding the substance behind what I actually heard. And so when they then say the word and they don't understand what they're speaking, they sound stupid. The same is true when we are trying to speak on, on matters that require study and understanding of the word of God. Uh, and we speak on them based upon regurgitating what we've heard versus what we've actually learned. And I do think, like I said earlier, you know, if you have not studied to show that self approved, then you gotta follow that scripture that says, study to be quiet or study to shut up. You know, there, there are so many things that we create. There are some people that's like, they'll teach their children if they say the word lie. Oh my God, you shouldn't say lie, it's a fear. That's foolishness. You get what I'm saying? Like we, we really get ourselves in things that have no scriptural foundation uh, and we established and set parameters for people based upon something that is personal commitment. It's like it's like me deciding that, you know, for me, it's most comfortable if the air is set on 71 in my house. And some of you might say, oh, my 71, the house needs to be set on 68. That's what it's supposed to be. And then somebody else comes back and say, oh, no, it's not. It's supposed to be 73. That's about what makes you comfortable. 
but that's not necessarily something that's definitive. And I think that when it comes to the word of God, the main thing I want to challenge us to leave with, hopefully the circle, what it's doing is it's bringing by nature is controversial, right? But it's bringing subject matters up that should create an appetite for knowledge so that you study the word more effectively. The appetite for knowledge should direct us to study more. I'm on this whole journey. There are so many questions we need to ask about the word of God. Why was polygamy acceptable in the Old Testament? Ask that. Why was incest acceptable? Right. These are things that I know as believers, we like, well, we don't want to talk about this, but this is in the word. Right. So then it is a subject matter that that is worth exploring. Not that we say it would be foolish for me to be and my wife would look at me like, fool, you crazy if you think polygamy is about to be something that's permissible in this house. Right. Or we understand the cultural evolution. All I'm saying is, is there's a responsibility to study the word of God, to understand the culture, the times. Uh, that's why it is good when people read the Hebrew and the Greek and all that. Now, I think when we translate it and we and we teach it in the pulpit, we need to bring it to layman's terms for understanding. But what I hope the circle does is create, creates an appetite to study the word more. Y'all know I said earlier about, I believe about 90% of the body of Christ doesn't really study the word. They depend on somebody else to tell them what the word said. And most people's opinions of the word of God are not rooted in study. They are rooted in what's been transferred to them. Uh, and you, we all know that if we started right now, we were in the same room and we whispered in everybody's ear, by the time the message got from me, I, on my screen, I'm at the top, uh, Avril is at the bottom. By the time that message went from me all the way to Avril, it would be a completely different thing that we stated to her. Because when we whisper from ear to ear to ear to ear, it gets diluted, it gets changed, it gets distorted. And that's where we have to have an appetite to study the word of God because passing messages alone is what's got us, gotten us in this place of not truly understanding the heart of God. Love it, love it, love it, love it. We're going to end with that tonight, y'all, because we finna go on two hours. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Listen, this has been a really, 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 really good circle. Um, I'm going to put it up. Um, 